I have been asked before what I would do if I was not a preacher. I always thought GQ model. You know, um, I had a goal as a child to grow up and be about, what, 6'3", six, 6'4", six, you know, 215, 220 pounds. Didn't hit any of those. Actually, I exceeded the poundage, but... But I have been asked, what would, you, what would you do if you were not be a preacher? And the actual response is, I think now I've decided that I would be a meteorologist. Yeah. You, you know this guy? Right? Paul Barris? Uh, when I was growing up here in town, Paul always said it would be like this. Remember that catchphrase? You would drive across town and there would be a billboard up and it would say, Paul said it would be like this and whatever the weather was that day, that's what Paul had said or at least that's what he hoped that he would say and you know, if you don't like the weather this morning, just wait a while, it'll change and you know, you'll see what you get. But I grew up with Paul Barris and I thought, man, that'd be pretty cool to stand in front of this, this green screen and point to stuff that's not there and impress everybody with how I know the seasons are going to change and all the stuff that's going to happen. Meteorologists would be cool. Now, when I moved to Alabama and went to school at Auburn and then Tanya and I were married and then we spent our first years as a married couple in the state of Alabama, my focus on the weathermen turned from Paul Barris to this guy. His name is James Spann. And James Spann is the guy that if you live in north to central Alabama that you pay attention to because of those polygons of terror that show up on the screen telling you where all the tornadoes are going to be going through central Alabama. In fact, there is a meme that was made of him that shows just how important he is to the people of Alabama. It says, if this makes you nervous, you live in Alabama. It's like, well, what? I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand. Well, let me explain it by another picture. If you see James Spann in a full suit, it's sunshine and rainbows. But if there is no jacket on, you better be getting ready because things are going to get serious. And if there's no shirt, may God have mercy on your soul. Being a weatherman would be cool. Yeah, I thought, man, being a meteorologist, having that kind of, having that kind of power, right? I mean, you could control the commodities market, right? I mean, milk and bread, those who prepare those things, I mean, they're at your mercy depending on what you call for. It would be a great life if I wasn't a preacher. But today I want to challenge you and I want to channel my inner meteorologist and perhaps my inner preacher as well by telling you this. Guys, there's a storm coming and you better be ready. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth. And that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was evil all the time. Can I stop here just for a moment at the very beginning and focus you in on just a couple of key principles that I think are of utmost importance. As we walk through the gallery of grace, as we look at the different ways in which the grace of God has touched the heart of mankind, there is something that we need to hear and hear very clearly. And that is that sin will ultimately turn your heart away from God. It doesn't happen right away. 
In fact, have you ever noticed how amazingly easy it is to do something for the second time? Right? You remember that time when you were on your bicycle and somebody said, hey, I bet you won't jump over that ravine. I bet you won't build that ramp. But I bet you won't be evil Knievel right here for everybody to see. And you thought about it for about, oh, I don't know, five seconds. And then you decided, build that ramp, show me the ravine. I've got evil Knievel blood right in me. And you went and you jumped over. And even though you didn't go exactly as you anticipated, even though your buddies were standing around and they were snickering, you decided to put that ramp back up and give me another shot. Because the second time of being stupid is a lot easier than the first time. It's just how things work. The group Casting Crowns has a song called Slow Fade. They say it's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white are turned to gray. Thoughts invade, choices are made. A price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. And so slowly and gradually sin turns our heart away from God until all that we think about and all that we desire is on everything but Him. And so the Lord regretted that He had made human beings on the earth and His heart was deeply troubled. Sin will ultimately turn your heart away from God. And friends, you need to understand this morning that your sinfulness and mine breaks God's heart. It breaks his heart. You see, as any parent who has had to deal with a rebellious child can tell you, the greatest heartache that they've ever known is when you have that rebellious teen, that rebellious young adult, who makes choices, who uses curses, and who ends up breaking the heart of the parent that does not know where to turn. And there comes a moment, there comes a moment in a parent's life where you just say, you know what? Enough is enough. I've seen the rebellious attitude. I've seen the way that you don't care. I've seen the way in which you've turned your back on those who care about you. And eventually, enough just becomes enough. It starts in a parent when the child is small. I can remember when our daughter was just a toddler and we had come home one evening. It was late and we had told her when she was in the car, now sweetheart, when you go inside, we're not going to have time to watch VeggieTales. Instead, you're going to need to go straight to bed. We get inside and sure enough, the door opens and she makes a beeline to the little television that we had sitting beside the couch. Her VeggieTale movies all stacked up nice in a row and she begins to pull out her favorite and I say, sweetheart, Remember, Daddy said, no movies tonight. We're going to have to go to bed. She proceeded to get out her favorite movie and began to put it into the television in order to watch. And I said, sweetheart, Daddy said no. And she turned around, stood up, put her hands on her hips and said, Daddy said yes. <laughs> and about that time, a microphone fell from the ceiling and I heard the words, let's get ready to rumble. Because it was on. I mean, it was on like Donkey Kong. We were ready. I mean, it was the moment that it happened. My daughter, that rebellious streak from her mother had shown up. And it was there. And it was time for me to do something. And in our text this morning, God says, that's it. I've had enough. But he goes a little bit farther. 
So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. You know, we read this verse and all of a sudden the VBS story of a big boat and animals walking in two by two, and it's just not as tame as that flannel graph version that we remember from our days gone by. But as we begin to process this decision, I, I think it would be helpful for us to remember that sin has always elicited a strong response from God. You see, just three galleries down in Genesis, or from Genesis chapter 6, God pronounced judgment on the first man and woman after their hearts turned from him, banishing them from the garden that has been sustaining their life. And later when his chosen people, the people of Israel, when their hearts became focused on evil, God would announce his displeasure through the words of the prophet Amos. And he would say, the people of Israel have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. So I will make you groan like a wagon loaded down with sheaves of grain. Your fastest runners will not get away. The strongest among you will become weak. Even mighty warriors will be unable to save themselves. The archers will not stand their ground. The swiftest runners will not be fast enough to escape. Even those riding horses won't be able to save themselves. On that day, the most courageous of your fighting men will drop their weapons and run for their lives, says the Lord. Because he has always had a strong response to sin. It is always and will always get the attention of God because sin turns the hearts of his children away from their father. And so God saw how corrupt the earth had become. But Noah was a righteous man. Blameless among the people of his time. And he walked faithfully with God. The Genesis scribe uses a word to describe Noah by saying that he was Sadiq. He was righteous. Sadiq means lawful. It means righteous in character and in conduct. Noah was the one who did the right things the right way. The writer is saying Noah is the one that always was the first. He was never the last. He was the one that was always standing up for what needed to be stood up for. He was the one that knew where God wanted him to be and was always where God wanted him to be because he was Sadiq, righteous. He also describes him as being Talmim, blameless. Talmim means wholesome and having integrity. It means being undefiled. It means that if you're looking for someone with purity, if you're looking for someone whose yes means yes and whose no means no, you look for Noah. If you're looking for someone who keeps himself unspotted from the world that is around him, it is Noah that you are seeking. It's a lifestyle that stands out in a world overrun by selfishness, immorality, lawlessness, and greed. And friends, in a time when Twitter feeds are filled with all the latest updates of the latest sexual escapades and politicians engage in profanity-laced tirades, our culture is in desperate need of men and women who walk faithfully with God. Men and women who are Sadiq, who are Tomim, righteous and blameless. And yet sadly, 
We live right now in a time where it's difficult to tell the believers of God from the unbelievers. In the church-shaking book, Unchristian, Dave Kinneman wrote the following. He said, we explored more than 100 variables related to the values, behaviors, and lifestyles, including both religious and non-religious areas of life. We compared born-again Christians with non-born-again adults. And we discovered that born-agains were distinct in some religious variables, most notably owning more Bibles, going to church more often, and donating more money to religious nonprofits, especially a church. However, he writes, when it came to non-religious factors, the substance of people's daily choices, actions, and attitudes, there were few meaningful gaps between those who said they were Christian and those who said they were not. Christians emerged as distinct in the areas people would expect in engaging in some religious activities and commitments, but they were not distinct in other areas of their life. You see, church, we give more money to our churches than non-Christians do, but they give more money to the poor. We have more Bibles than non-Christians, but we divorce our spouses at a greater rate. We go to church services more than non-Christians, but we are just as likely to use profanity, drink alcohol to excess, and engage in sexual immorality. Where are the Sadiq among us? Where are the Tamim? Because the expectation of the early followers of Christ is that they would be different than the culture that was around them. I want you to listen to the words of Paul as he would write to Christians living in Ephesus. This is from Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 21 and going to the end of the chapter. He says, when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, To put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitudes of your mind, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun even go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those who are in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up in accordance to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. Church Christ followers are expected to exhibit Christ's character. Our society needs to know that there are men and women who are truthful, and whose word can be trusted. They need to see individuals who have a strong work ethic and the generosity that comes from not hoarding up your treasure. Those who praise God should be able to drown out the voices of those who curse Him. And people who have been beaten down should be able to receive needed words of encouragement that that lift up. And how about sharing some sweetness instead of 
bitterness? And why not tone down all the testosterone and the, the anger and the rage that comes from not getting your way all the time? Our society is dying to see men and women who demonstrate compassion, who remind them what it's like to be set free and forgiven. And our society is dying for someone who will stand up and remind them that a storm is coming. Back to our text in Genesis chapter 6. The Lord says, look, I'm about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die. And the Hebrews writer says in response to this, Noah, when he was warned about things that he had yet to see, that with holy fear he would build an ark to save his life and the life of his family. Now, as far as I know, the children of Noah, Ham, Sham, and Japheth, and their wives, and even Mrs. Noah, for lack of a better term to describe her, did not hear the message of the Lord. They only watched as Noah would go and make himself a laughingstock. I mean, how do you hide a structure like Noah was told to build? You can't just put that in the backyard. The whole town must have known. And imagine as people would come up and say, Noah, what are you building? A new summer home for the missus maybe? And he would say, no. It's a big, it's just a big honking boat. A boat? But don't you know how far we are from the ocean? Hey, don't worry because God is going to open up the floodgates of heaven and water is going to pour from the sky and it's going to rise up from the earth. Oh, wouldn't that be funny? <laughs> and we can just all tilt our head back and open up our mouths, just take a great big drink. That'll be great, Noah. You call us when that happens, all right? No, it's going to happen. It's going to happen, and unless you can swim, you need to be on the boat. You know, before you know it, word had spread about Shem, Ham, and Japheth and their nutty old dad who was out there building the ark. Scripture says that he preached. Who was he preaching to? I mean, he barely got his whole family in there. I mean, who wants to go to VBS with Shem, Ham, and Japheth? They couldn't get anybody to jump on the camels and go. Nobody wanted to listen to what Noah was selling because it sounded so crazy. It sounded so absurd. There's a storm coming. And the people, their hearts were turned from God. I wonder how many times Shem would come into the tent, throw down the flap, and say, that's it. I'm tired. I'm out of here. And Ham would look at him and say, what's wrong? He says, oh, it was Omar at school today. He came to me and he had two worms. He was like, I think your dad's looking for these. I wonder if it was Japheth that had to get both of them together and say, guys, if dad says it, then that's good enough for me. And I trust him. To every father in the room this morning, Will our children say, look at the way that my dad trusts God? 
And I'll trust him that way as well. To every mom in the room, to every grandmother and grandfather, don't you want your children to say, look at the legacy of faith that has been left to be by my family. He said, well, isn't that an inherited faith? Well, why do you think God was referred to as being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? There is an expectation that the people of God would pass along to their children the knowledge of God so that they might grow and discover what it means to have faith in God so that they would realize the salvation that only comes from God. See, the question is, do we live our lives in such a way that our children will say, I will follow you as you follow the Lord. You see, Noah was willing to be the butt of every joke as long as his family had a seat on the ark. And I wonder, how far would you be willing to go in order to save your family from the coming storm? How far would you be willing to go to save your neighbors, to be able to save that coworker, that guy on your ball team, those individuals that you spend all your time with? How far would you be able to go to save them from the pending storm. You didn't know there was a storm coming? I didn't seven years ago. Our power was out on April 27th, 2011, and we were at home. We had gotten one of Tanya's old radios and she had left over from her college days and we had plugged it in and we had tuned it in to J103, going to listen to some uplifting music while the wind blew around us, something to keep the kid's mind off of the thunder and lightning. But we had no idea of the tornadoes that had ravaged Alabama and that were on their way into North Georgia and into Tennessee. We had no idea because there was no alert that was being given at that time on the radio station. Nothing that said, listen, you better hunker down. Nothing that said, go into the inner recesses of your home. There was no James Spann taking the jacket off, shoving the suspenders aside, saying, may the Lord have mercy on your soul because the storm is coming. And it wasn't until the winds began to pick up, and sure enough, it did sound like a train that was coming through. It wasn't boom chugga lugga, but it was something that was loud. It was something that was distinct, and it was something that I had never heard at that decibel before. And I remember telling Tanya to grab up the kids and said, come on, we need to hurry. And we went and ran and got in the bathroom there in our home as we heard then trees began to fall into our house and Roofing timbers from other homes began to be shot into our upstairs rooms. And I grabbed up one kid and told Tanya to grab the other, and we left the bathroom because I thought it sounded like the house was coming down. And I ran and opened up the front door, and the two houses directly across the street from us were smashed to the ground. And I sent Tanya and the kids into the bedroom and told them to get underneath the mattress by that time, of course, it was too late. The storm had come through at 60 miles per hour. Five different homes in our neighborhood had been destroyed. Ours was damaged, but was still standing. Many of you were involved in the cleanup, not only in our neighborhood, but in others around. You know about the loss of life that took place, the loss of property that happened. I know what it feels like. 
not to know there's a storm coming. And so it's because of that that I want to make sure you understand that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10 it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Friends, there is a storm coming where God will deliver a final judgment on the sinfulness of man. In Romans chapter 14, the scripture says, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. But let me tell you something, I don't want to give an account. I don't want to give an account. I don't want to receive what is due. I don't want to have my life laid bare. I don't want to have all the choices of my life lined up so that everyone can see. Mother, father, children, friend, and stranger alike. Do I have your attention yet? I hope so. Because only when you understand the horror of sin will you be able to appreciate the beauty of God's grace. You see, God has always responded to sin with judgment and with grace. His holiness demands that sin be punished, and His love demands that sinners be saved. And that's why Scripture says that the wages of sin is death, but that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so let's wrap things up and go back to our text. So the Lord said, I will wipe away from the face of the earth the human race that I have created. But Noah found favor or grace in the eyes of the Lord. I don't know if you've been writing down anything we've been talking about this morning on the front of your glory, praise, and honor. But I would hope that you would find, I think, maybe what's probably the last blank that you have there and put in the following. Even the most righteous among us must depend on grace. You see, as good as Noah was, he was Sadiq, he was Talmim, righteous, blameless, walked faithfully with God. As good as he was, he could not save himself from the coming storm. God told Noah about the storm. God gave him plans for the ark. He shut the door after he and his family aborted. He said, well, what did Noah do? Well, according to Hebrews, the writer says he believed and he built. Noah believed in God's prediction and he believed in God's plan. And as a result, he and his family experienced a flood of grace. And I wonder if we're willing to do the same. You see, there's a storm coming. But you don't have to build an ark. I've wrestled in this text during this last week. And I've wrestled with it because I grew up hearing a lot about Noah. I grew up with this story. And I grew up that when you came to this point in the lesson that you reminded everyone how that there was an expectation to be blameless, to be righteous, to walk faithfully with God, and how that in order to do that, you must go out and start building your ark of righteousness. 
And I've heard lessons on Noah. How that the takeaways have been everything from in order to be pleasing to God, you need to make sure that your worship lines up because if Noah had used anything but gopher wood, the boat would have sunk and you can't use anything but unleavened bread and grape juice and communion or your worship sinks. I have heard lessons that have talked about how that in order to be pleasing to God, like Noah, he has given you a plan on how you need to lead your life, the ark that you need to be building. And if you miss one specific cubit and if things don't line up exactly the way that God had said, the storm is coming, the rains are going to pour, and you are going to be lost eternally and sink. But the more I wrestled with this text, something became clear. I don't have to build an ark. Because in this story, I am not Noah. I told you a few weeks ago that as we walked through the gallery of grace, that you would see not only the individuals of Scripture, but eventually you would start to see yourself in the text. And oftentimes, when this particular message is presented, the picture that begins to come forth, the image that we see that we are asked to pattern ourselves after is that of Noah, but we're not Noah in the text. You see, Noah is a type of Christ in this story. Noah is a type of Christ because it was his responsibility to rescue the created of God from the coming storm that was the judgment of God. He was a type of Christ because it says that he was righteous and blameless, more so than anyone else of the people of his day, just as Christ would be. He was a type of Christ, and as we look to the way in which he was obedient to God, as we look to the way in which he lived his life, do we look to measure up to that and try to pattern ourselves after that? Sure, and I hope that you have gotten that from this message already, that God is seeking those who are righteous and blameless, and those are the people that we should be. But in this text, we are not Noah. We are the people. We are the sons and we are the daughters. And our responsibility is to step into the means of our salvation. Our responsibility is to step into Christ. You see, you don't have to build an ark of righteousness. But you do have to trust God. Trust that there is a storm coming. And trust that he provides rescue from the judgment. Peter would write to the church in 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 19, that God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. And all a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. You see, it was the water that was both the judgment of God and the grace of God. It was the flood that brought judgment upon sin, but it was also the flood that gave life to the one who was righteous. Peter would continue and say, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
You see, we can also experience a flood of grace. Because when a person is baptized because of their belief in the resurrection of Jesus, they experience the same saving promise that Noah and his family relied on. And each time you see someone who is baptized, it is a beautiful picture of both the judgment of God and the grace of God. For an individual saying, I cannot save myself. I am not righteous enough. I'm not a very good boat builder. And my heart continually is turned from God. Friends, there is a storm coming. And I want to close with a passage from, again from Peter. This time it's from the second letter that he wrote and it's at the very end as he's wrapping things up. And I want you to listen to the word of the Lord. And I want you to hear both the judgment and the grace. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed this way, what kind of person ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. Sadiq, Tamim, as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless. Sadiq, blameless, Tomim, and at peace with him. Because bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Friends, there is a storm coming, but it is not something that the people of God should fear. Instead, it is something that they should be looking forward to because the coming storm not only brings the ultimate judgment of God, it also reveals the ultimate grace of God. Where the new heaven and the new earth will come to fruition and those who are the people of God will forever then be with the Lord. And so I call you this morning to be righteous, to be blameless, to live as individuals who are crying out to all that will listen, but to understand that your job is not to build an ark of righteousness, but to trust in the righteousness of God. When the storm comes, you will not survive because you are good, but because of the good thing that Jesus did at Calvary. 
And if this morning you need to run from the storm, then I encourage you to run to God, to come this morning, confessing your belief that Jesus is truly the one and only Son of God, the Savior of the world, and then reenact what took place so many years ago as you go under the water and come up clean. There's a storm coming. Let's stand and sing.